right. Well, good morning again. Glad you're all with us today. Last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the Christian life together and how in times of tragedy and suffering, the church can come together to help those who are feeling the effects of it and how the church works together like a team, like in a game of tug of war where all the effects that happen in the church's life and our community, how we feel those effects, the way they affect those who are going through it. And so uh, I wanted us to stick with this idea of the Christian life together and how we as a church work together. Today, I want to continue this idea uh, of the church as a team and the church uh, working together. Our focus today is going to be on how the church can respond to the mission of God. What is the mission of God and what is our role in that? There's uh, a Latin phrase called missio dei, uh, which means mission of God. It's important to understand that God is a God on mission, a mission to redeem and restore the world. The mission of God is a redemptive mission by nature. Sometimes uh, we might think of mission as something the church does. For example, we might think of mission trips that people go on. However, mission is how the church responds to what God is doing or how the church can participate and partner with God on God's mission. We see all throughout scripture this overarching story of God's redemptive plan. This is sometimes called the meta-narrative of scripture where there's a cohesive story all throughout scripture. And so one definition of the word uh, to redeem is to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. From the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, we see how God is extending grace towards Adam and Eve. This is a section of Scripture where they have just sinned. Adam and Eve uh, were the first people to sin. This is the moment we read about when humanity became broken. I love the verse in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 21, because I think it helps set the tone for all of Scripture. Genesis 3.21 says, uh-oh, looks like we lost it. Okay. Um, so Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed, clothed them. On the surface, this might not seem like much, but Adam and Eve were ashamed. They covered themselves with fig leaves and let God down. The one thing they weren't supposed to do, they did. And we can read about God's frustration earlier in this chapter, but here in this verse, we see hints of redemption. We see how God is compensating for the faults and bad aspects of human sin. God extends grace by giving them clothes. These clothes of leather would have been a lot more durable than fig leaves, and we see in the midst of human brokenness 
and shame that God displays these hints of redemption to Adam and Eve. So we see the mission of God from the beginning is to restore and redeem the world. Now, how is the church supposed to participate or partner with God in this mission? We don't have the power that God has, so how are we supposed to join in with this mission? Let's look first to the story of Moses. Now, starting at the very beginning of the book of Exodus, we read that Moses was a Hebrew person born in Egypt. The Pharaoh at this time was very oppressive to the Hebrew people, uh, and he had a rule where every boy who was born to a Hebrew woman was to be thrown into the Nile River. Pharaoh was worried that the Hebrew people might become too strong if they had too many children and rise up and revolt against the Pharaoh. If we've read this story before, we know that Moses was indeed thrown into the Nile River, uh, but he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up as an Egyptian, but he knew he was a Hebrew. He saw how oppressive the Egyptians were being towards the Hebrews, and one day he went out and he saw a fellow Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian person. He was so filled with emotion, it stirred up in him this immense uh, anger, and he ended up killing the Egyptian and hiding the body. The next day, he saw some Hebrews fighting amongst themselves, and he asked what they were doing, and they were scared. They, they came to him, and they said, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian guy? And Moses thought no one would have known about this. He didn't know that anyone would have known, and so uh, he became really scared, and Moses thought the Pharaoh might find out, and so he left Egypt. He ended up in a place called Midian, and he spent about 40 years in this town of Midian. He started a family and lived a relatively simple life to that point. Now, for a moment, let's think about this. Most of us might be familiar with the story of Moses and know all the great things that happened in this story. Moses parted the sea, he cast plagues, and eventually he led people to the promised land. However, all of what I just described, Moses growing up, killing a man, fleeing to Midian for 40 years, and having a family, this all happened in the first two chapters of Exodus. We don't know how old Moses was when he fled Egypt, but we could assume he was roughly uh, maybe 20 at the time, and so by this point in the story, within the first two chapters, 60 years had passed, and not a lot has happened yet in that story. So with that in mind, uh, let's continue with this story. One day, uh, Moses, while he's in Midian, he, he was a shepherd, and so he took these, uh, this flock of sheep into the wilderness, and he happens to see a really strange bush that's on fire, but it's not being burned. Now, I don't know what I would do in this situation. If something is super weird and unusual, I'm probably not the type of person to go investigate what that is. But Moses had enough courage to go check out what was going on, and God speaks to Moses through this bush. Here uh, is where I want to focus in this section of Scripture this morning. Before getting into a lot of the awesome things that God helped Moses do, I think for us today, 
this section is really important when we ask the question of how the church can participate or respond to the mission of God. Remember, the mission of God is to redeem and restore the world. So in, uh, we see in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses is talking to God at this point. And so verses 7 through 10 says this, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God hears the cries of the people. God's plan is to redeem and restore, and God sends people to help accomplish the work at hand. We saw earlier that Moses really cared for the person who was being beaten, and Moses intervened. He ended up committing murder, and I don't think this is what God wants us to do, but I think God recognized the passion Moses had for these people. Moses truly cared for the people, the Hebrew people. God is a sending God. This word we use, mission, it also means to send. God's mission involves God sending us. So when God heard the cries of the people and he saw that Moses had passion for these people, there was an opportunity for Moses to be sent as a partner with God to help redeem and restore. Now, if we think about all of the other things that happen in this story of Moses, there's a lot that happens. We have four books of the Bible with Moses as the main character. And just to mention again, what I just read happened within the first two and getting into the third chapter in this long story. And so about 60 years had passed just right here at the beginning. So most of the work that happened in the life of Moses and in this story happened after Moses was about 60 years old. When we think about doing work in general, we probably think about our younger years. If we're doing 40 years of work, we probably think the age is maybe 20 to 60 to accomplish those things, and then we might retire. That's kind of the the culture that we live in. The thing about God is that God can use anyone and everyone. God often uses the most unlikely people to accomplish the plan. He uses Moses, someone who wasn't a great speaker, someone that probably wasn't well-liked by the Hebrew people, but God uses Moses to accomplish great things. If we fast forward through the story of Scripture, we see another very unlikely person to be sent by God, and it's who we now know as the Apostle Paul. We read about the conversion of Saul in the book of Acts, chapter 9. He's described as someone who threatens and murders people who proclaim the name of Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Paul, 
who wrote much of what we now have as sacred text, most of the New Testament, was murdering people who followed Jesus. The guy who wrote so much about the greatness of Jesus was murdering those who followed him. In this story in Acts 9, uh, Saul is traveling to Damascus and he is suddenly blinded on the road to Damascus. He has no idea what's happening. He can no longer see. He falls to the ground and hears the voice of Jesus say, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus tells Saul to get up, to go into the city, and will be told what to do next. Then Jesus starts to speak to a man named Ananias, who's also in this city of Damascus. He says, there's a guy named Saul. I need you to go up, uh, to get up and go find him. Lay hands on him so he can regain his sight. Uh, Ananias knew who Saul was. This, for me, this is really crazy to think about because if God came to us and said, I need you to do something, go heal this person, yeah, that one who murders your people and threatens you, this is probably the person that we would avoid at all costs. If we heard they were in town, we would either pack up and move or nail our door shut. But God continues to show how the most unlikely people can be used to accomplish the plan. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says this, But the Lord said to him, talking to Ananias, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. So Ananias goes into the city and finds Saul, and he lays hands on him, and Saul can see again. We read about God telling two different people in this story to get up and go. God's mission is to redeem and restore the world, often using the most unlikely people to participate in that plan, and God is ascending God. Just like God sent Moses and Paul, God has an expectation for the church, the whole church, to be a part of the mission, to get up and go. Each one of us has a responsibility to participate in the mission of God. We have an expectation to partner with the plan God has for the world. Jesus entrusts us with the responsibility to help others learn about who God is. Our great commission is a co-mission with God. And so the great commission uh, is found in uh, the book of Matthew at the end, I believe in chapter 28, and it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This word commission means that some authority has been entrusted to us. Jesus gives us authority and responsibility to share the gospel, but it isn't an individual effort. The church is a team we are on a co-mission. That prefix co means together, mutually, or in common. We work together as a church and with God to uphold the great commission and teach others about the gospel. 
our great commission is a co-mission with God. It's important to talk about what the great commission looks like lived out in our lives. When we're told to help others learn about God and the gospel, it might not always look the same for everyone. The way we tell others about the gospel will look different because we're different people. This is called contextualization. This means to look at what's going on in a specific part of the world, your city, your community, and you're able to say things in a way which would be fully understood. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were talking about computers. Um, I really like computers. I'm fascinated by the components, what they do, and how they make the computers work. My wife, on the other hand, uh, doesn't have the same interest that I do. She was looking for a new computer, uh, but one in my opinion, just to make sure that what she was getting would work for her needs. And so I basically told her this. The most important thing to look for for your needs is an SSD. The RAM is pretty important too. You might need 8 gigs, but 4 gigs is okay. And the CPU isn't as important for what you need, but on some of these computers, it's 7th gen, and they're a little old. You might need to look for a newer CPU. Now, by show of hands, how many of you understood what I just said? All right, a, a, a few people in here, right? So you see, when, when we aren't contextualizing, we probably aren't helping people understand fully. This is something that I really struggle with. It's hard to know what will make sense and what might not make sense to people. I think it's okay um, to, to not know where we're at. Uh, it shows how different people are, and it furthers the point that God uses all types of people to accomplish the plan. You'll be able to talk to others about the gospel in a way that I might not be able to talk to them about. You might have a relationship with a person that I'll never have a relationship with, and that will give you an open door to share the message of the gospel. And there's probably people you might not be able to connect with that someone else could connect with. When we look back to Moses and Paul, we see how they were tools that God used. Moses contextualized differently than Paul. The way Moses had to tell the Hebrew people about God wouldn't have been the same as Paul. Their lives were vastly different, the world changed, and the message had to be understood in a different way. The same is true for us today. The world has changed a lot over the last 2,000 years. Even in the same city right here in Arden, Avery's Creek, Asheville, right here in the same city, people might have a different uh, understanding of the world. Their context is different from person to person. So when we talk about how to live out this great commission to go and make disciples and to teach them about what God has commanded us, we shouldn't think of it in a way where uh, we're failures if someone doesn't connect with our way of telling the gospel. It might just mean that our context is different than their context. We shouldn't think of the great commission as our sole responsibility either. Uh, we also shouldn't think that it's the sole responsibility of someone else. We are working together as partners 
to share the message of Jesus. So how does the church respond to the mission of God? First, I think we should know what that mission is, the mission to restore and redeem the world, the mission we see all throughout Scripture. When we read uh, Scripture, we can see these hints of redemption leading up to the main event when Jesus defeats sin. Next, we should understand that God is ascending God. We see how God uses all types of people to accomplish the plan. Our great commission is a co-mission with God. We work together as a church to extend the kingdom. And finally, in our lives, when we set out to teach others about the gospel, we must remember to contextualize the gospel. We should try to speak in a way where other people can fully understand what we're saying. And if we can't connect with a person, it's okay. It isn't our responsibility alone. God uses all sorts of people to continue the mission. Maybe some people are like Moses. Maybe their stories won't really start until they're 60 years old. Some people might be like Paul. They were really against the church and had a change of heart and will become one of the church's biggest advocates. And some people uh, might have really close friends who don't know a lot about Jesus, but that relationship allows them to have a conversation. There's a book that I read in seminary. It's this book right here called Introducing Christian Mission Today by Michael Goheen. And uh, in this book, there's a quote that says, the church only becomes the church as it responds to God's call to mission. So I hope today we can all find ways to partner with God in this mission to restore and redeem the world, ways that we can uh, find how to partner with God in the way we live our lives and live out that great commission. And so today we're going to sing a a song of invitation here in, in a moment, and I'll be standing up front. If you have any questions or desires about what that looks like to to live a life that is partnering with God. I'll be up here to answer some of those, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and, and sing our song of invitation this morning, and if you all would, stand with us as we sing together. <laughs> 